0: STEMQ New England Northwest brings together expertise in science, technology, engineering and mathematics from across the region. I'm Dr. James O'Hanlon, and here on the STEMQ podcast, you'll be hearing from leaders in industry, community, government and universities about the groundbreaking innovations that are happening right here in regional New South Wales. This podcast is recorded on Aniwan country at the University of New England in Armidale.
1: So my name is Anna Barwick. Uh, I'm a pharmacist and an academic at the University of New England and my research focuses on women's health, deprescribing of unnecessary medication and telehealth.
0: No, as a host of a podcast I get the privilege of I guess stalking my guests online before <laughs> I interview them and when I look up the work that you do, it's very obvious the first thing that comes up is a huge big list of awards you've gotten (laughs) for all this work that you do. Yes. Namely, I'm just going to rattle a few off, (laughs) 2021 Pharmaceutical Society of Australia's Pharmacist of the Year, uh, recipient of the Future Women New South Wales Rural Scholarship, New South Wales Mineral Council Regional Woman of the Year, leading to the Premier's Award for Woman of the Year. Highly commended in the Charles Sturt Alumni Awards finalist in the Australian Mumpreneur Awards and we also write in that you got a Fashion Star Award at the Tamworth Racecourse Country Championships? Yes,
1: that's <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> I guess that doesn't make it onto the academic CV very no, much. No, no, that's May as well right. give it a shout out here. Yeah, exactly. No, it <laughs> probably
1: doesn't really fit within it, but it's something that's fun to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and most recently, you've been awarded as, or named as one of this year's superstars of STEM. Mm. What's this program?
1: Yeah, so this program is all um, through um, Science and Technology of Australia. So the intent is to enhance the profile of women and non-binary people in STEM subjects and particularly in the media. So the idea is that we connect with uh, country kids and and, um, high school children to help encourage them to consider uh, a career in STEM. But I think for the participants, it also builds their own personal profile um, as a researcher predominantly uh, and really allows them to connect together and hopefully leads to some great collaborations and research projects as well. So it's really exciting to be a part of.
0: Yeah, it's one of those awards that are given to people who have done lots of good work, with the expectation you will then do more work. More. That's right. As part of the award, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: So that's right, exactly. But I, I think it aligns really nicely with um, recognising uh, what has been done, but also giving a platform for more to be achieved, which is really exciting.
0: Now, of the work that you do, you do many things, and yes. we'll get to those. But first off, you're a pharmacist. Yes. So I want to ask a very silly question. <laughs> What's a pharmacist? Yeah, so a
1: pharmacist (laughs) is a medication expert. Um, at the absolute basis of it. So a lot of what we do is educating patients around how to best use their medications if they need to use medications at all. Um, Also help with uh, primary health services. So we immunise, we also do medication reviews. Uh, And for me, I'm also a diabetes educator. So I actually also help with people understanding particular chronic conditions and how to manage those to get the the best out of life.
0: Because we have... I guess a bit of a division, you know, we go and see our GPs that know how to prescribe medicines, but pharmacists aren't GPs and GPs aren't. Pharmacists. Correct. Yes. <laughs>
1: yep. So there's a big differentiation there, and it's really important to know that. So uh, GPs obviously very much focus on diagnosis and prescribing, um, and they often are the central contact for a patient's care. Um, whereas pharmacists do help with primary care, they have a really good understanding of anatomy, biology, you know, all of the things that go into why people get sick and how to actually manage that. Um, but what's really interesting is that uh, the New South Wales government has just announced that pharmacists from next year will be able to prescribe uh, and diagnose certain conditions. So there will be some, I imagine, overlap, but the intent is that pharmacists will take some of that workload pressure of GPs. I mean, if you're in this area, you you know, and around Armidale, it can take four mm. to six weeks to get in to, to see a GP, whereas with a pharmacy and a pharmacist, you can go in and see them same day, get that treatment, get things underway. Uh, and pharmacists are also really good for helping to organise urgent appointments with the GP because when we ring them, they know it's important because mm-hmm. otherwise we don't tend to bother them because we know how busy we all are. But I think there's some really um, great synergies and we work really well together together. It's just important, as with anything, that communication is really clear and that the patient is at the centre of care.
0: And people are probably most familiar with the pharmacist on the other side of the counter mm. when they go to the pharmacy. Yes. But they're in all sorts of other settings. Everywhere.
1: So there's pharmacists now that work uh, in GPs, um, so in GP clinics, and do medication reviews or, or do medication summaries for patients and help explain how to use the medication the doctor has just prescribed. Um, pharmacists also work independently as consultant pharmacists. So they go in, they can come to your home and review your medication, actually have a look in your medicine cabinet and figure out if you're doing the right thing and how to improve prove, um, you know, what you're actually taking, which is great. Uh, and yeah, we have uh, pharmacists that work in community. So you'll see them in a, um, a pharmacy down the street, but they also work in hospital. And you'll also see them in industry as well. So they'll work for pharmaceutical companies. But yeah, there's other um, career pathways. So there's military pharmacists. So they work uh, in the military setting. Um, there are pharmacists that just do medical writing and education. So it's, yeah, it's a really great career for a lot of different options when it comes to, yeah, what you enjoy and what you're good at.
0: And one of the things you do in your career is teaching yes. at the University of New England. Yeah. When students come and do uh, pharmaceutical studies, mm-hmm. what do they think they're going to be?
1: Yeah, good question. So I think it depends on the level of exposure they've already had to the industry. Um but yeah, we have, um, or you know, potential pharmacy students come in and they, you know, they just they want to work in a community pharmacy or own a pharmacy um, and get into management. Um, we do have the rare um, student that wants to do academia. <laughs> I think we're pr- <laughs> probably maybe unusual um, to want to do that because it can be quite a high pressure and high stress environment. Although I think that's true of any healthcare setting as well. So um, yeah, it's really good. I think a lot of our students that are coming in now know that there's lots of options. But that's also one of my roles too saying look at all of these options that are here for you and we often get in pharmacists from a variety of backgrounds to be able to get students to know a little bit more about what's possible for them.
0: Now you've worked in clinics and hospitals and things, but yes. like you said, I've made that transition into academia. Yes. What got you there?
1: Yeah, good question. I think, so I was working in um, hospital at the time when a position came up at UNE, was actually looking after clinical placements. Uh, and I've been very fortunate and worked very hard to have lots of contacts within the industry. And I thought, well, I can help with this. So I've got lots of people that I can get um, placements organised for and, and work with. And yeah, I think as, as I've been there, I've been brought more into the teaching and a lot more of the um, pedagogy and kind of developing um, content and um, yeah, I suppose the plan for um, yeah, pharmacy at UNE which is really exciting so it's kind of just happened accidentally um, but because of that I've also been working on a ma- well i now completed a Master of Clinical Pharmacy because it's something that's very much valued particularly in the hospital environment but also by academia uh, and I'm now doing my PhD part-time as well um, to really make sure that I'm meeting the requirements of the university but I really love it I really love being able to influence students and get them to have a really great love and passion for pharmacy and where it fits in the health system and how we can make a really big difference um, with our knowledge and our expertise and skills.
0: Thinking ahead, when you complete your PhD, yes. is that going to be an awkward conversation, explaining to people that you're a doctor but not a doctor? Uh,
1: yes, probably. Although,
0: <laughs> as I said, you
1: know, when, with us prescribing, there's going to be some crossover. So, look, I think, yeah, it's something that you absolutely have to say that, yeah, I'm a, I'm an actual doctor, as in a PhD doctor, <laughs> not a, not a medical doctor, which yeah. is the definition and the differentiation there.
0: So to get this PhD, you're doing your research?
1: Yes. So I'm actually reaching telepharmacy. Um, So looking at uh, the impact of a... uh, a telehealth service where pharmacists are actually staffing that and helping people when they have a query about their medicational health. So we're gathering some data down in Tasmania uh, at the moment just to get an understanding of the impact, um, how quickly we can treat people, what the recommendations are that come from the pharmacist and then what the patient does with that information just to get an understanding because there, although there's um, medicine advice lines that have been in and around Australia in the past, a lot of them are being defunded or they're now staffed by nurses which do not they just don't have the same level of medicine knowledge um, that pharmacists do. So we want to just go, you know what is the impact here, what is the clinical and economic impact and be able to report that back to the government, um, yeah to hopefully either you know potentially expand the service um, if the results are positive and or improve it if it's not quite as it should be.
0: So you're lecturing, you're researching, and you're also taking this idea of, I guess, going to telehealth and taking it a little bit further and getting online health information with a business you've started, Farm Online. Yes,
1: that's right. Where
0: do you find time and a day (laughs) do all these things.
1: Uh, Well that's a good question and people ask me how do you actually do this and I think the answer is not always as well as (laughs) um, I could probably but I think because there's so much alignment and synergy like they're all based around educating people it's all on medicines it's all everything that I am so passionate about and and got me into pharmacy in the first place so because there's so much synergy I feel like I can leverage um, a number of those roles that I'm already doing to do multiple things and have multiple outcomes so for example farm on line you know that that is the service where we're actually offering that telepharmacy so we'll be gathering data and we'll hope we'll have then a, an evidence-based offering so that falls under you know my business as well as the phd um so obviously we've built in things so that um it overcomes any conflict of interest or perceived conf- conflict of interest there but that's i think how i do it i'm kind of doing you know one thing for multiple outcomes. Um, and I, as I said, I love it. So it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm just doing work in and around, you know, family obligations and, um, you know, social things as we all have, you know, the rest of our lives. So but it, as I said, it doesn't feel like work. So it's very easy to do.
0: Plus, we should also plug the podcast that goes through Farm Online, Indispensable.
1: Yes, yeah. Is that just another
0: idea to share as much information as humanly possible?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the idea within the concept behind that podcast is to speak to expert pharmacists. So um, I actually interview pharmacists that are specialists in... Uh, like HRT, so hormone replacement therapy, so helping with menopause in particular, um, mental health pharmacists, um, pharmacists that are uh, diabetes educators. So they're really kind of, um, you know, have a real... Real specific expertise that I think it's really important for people to know about because people go, well, what does a pharmacist do? And when you hear that there are pharmacists that specialise in particular conditions or areas, I think a lot of people are quite shocked. So for me, it's a it's a real opportunity to educate the public on what pharmacists can and do do, uh, and make them a li- little bit more aware of what pharmacists can do for them um, when they're needing advice and help.
0: So is the pharmacist that you get at your community clinic likely to be like a GP that has a broad area of expertise, whereas other people in other workplaces would be able to be more specialised?
1: Yeah, a bit like that. I think that's, uh, me, um, in many ways, it's not as official as what, um, you know, medicine is, where you kind of, you know, you know, if you'd go down a specific path to be a GP. As a pharmacist, you have... Um, you know, basic skills when you actually leave university. And then I find people just do find a little niche that they go and follow and and very much become... Recognized specialists within the profession itself, but not it's not official like it mm-hmm. is um, with medicine where you go, okay, now you, you do your GP fellowship and then you become a GP or, you know, you go and become a nephrologist or a psychiatrist or whatever it is. Um, it's definitely not as, as structured as that, but it's just from that practice and experience and exposure that pharmacists go, you know, I am now the one that knows the most about this particular area and they're often um, called on to contribute to um, interdisciplinary bodies and and, um, referring on to politicians and informing policy, which is really cool. So um, it's really nice to be able to share that, yeah, with people that are interested.
0: Mm. Yeah, Um, even just as you're talking, I'd never heard of mental health pharmacists. Yes. Until now I guess that'd yeah. be different to psychiatrists.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. So again, yeah, it depends on the scope. So with a you know mental health pharmacist, they're really going to help you understand your condition, so why and how it's happening in the body, and they're really going to help you with your medication and how to manage that well. Whereas a psychiatrist can diagnose what your mental health condition is, they can prescribe, um, and they will often be the person that you refer to when you need assistance around um, you know lab tests or... Those types of things, whereas a pharmacist is a really great adjunct to the adds on to that team to be able to help people when they're taking their medication at home, how to manage them best, and how to get the best out of
0: them. So we have all these different ways now of, uh, I guess, getting in contact with pharmacists, be yeah. it in person or online or yes. or the phone. When does a person know to talk to a doctor as opposed to a pharmacist?
1: Yeah, good question. I think I think what tends to happen a lot of the time in practice is people often go to a pharmacist first and then the mm. pharmacist will say, you definitely need to speak to a GP <laughs> because we know what our limit is as far as what we can do and what we can't do. So it's always great if you can get into a pharmacy and have a chat to a pharmacist, they'll let you know where you need to go and when you need to go. So they can give you a sense of the urgency of when an appointment needs to be made. And as I mentioned, Earlier on, they can help you actually make that appointment. And sometimes that can carry a little bit more weight than someone ringing and saying, you know, can I make an appointment? And they, you know, you have the, the, um, the clinic staff say, Oh, you know, it's four weeks, a four week wait. Mm. Um, but you know, if a pharmacist rings and goes, no, this is not right. And we need you in probably in the next 24 hours. Again, it just really helps with, um, advocating for patients to get that care that they need. Um, yeah. So I think that's probably how, you know, I suppose if, if something's been going on for a long time or you've already tried treatments like medication and it hasn't worked, that's a really good time to definitely get into your GP. You can still always go to a pharmacist and get some advice. Um, but yeah there are particular points of time and, and if you know you've got an infection or something like that at this point pharmacists can't prescribe antibiotics so you do need to go and see a gp but that will probably change in the very near future
0: so thinking about your research and mm-hmm. your business farm online they all they both seem very topical given The past couple of years, were these ideas that were in place before COVID?
1: No. So Farm Online was very much born out of COVID. So I actually pitched to the university's smart region incubator. Um, so the SRI, uh, I think that was around March, just just as COVID was really starting to hit and, and, you know, things were being closed down. And my husband is also a pharmacist and a pharmacy owner in Walker And we just noticed a lot of people reaching out to us, so calling us or sending us messages about their medication and asking questions. So it made it really clear to me that there was a need, but people weren't able to or weren't willing to go into a physical space because of the need to wear masks and, you know, mm. and, lock, you know, oh, you know, I've got this cough, I've got it now isolate for however you know whatever length of time it was at the time and uh, it made yeah made it really clear to me that we needed something that allowed people to reach a pharmacist when they needed to um, and that's that's really the concept of Farm Online. So we very much initially started with the thought of doing video telehealth conferencing um, so where people w- we could see them on the screen so it helps very much with diagnosis um, and getting a sense of where someone's up to and if they're you know some of those um, non-verbal cues that you pick up when mm-hmm. you're Talking to someone, Um, but what we've actually found and we've evolved into is also doing telephone consults as well because some people are more comfortable um, in that situation. So, there's some evidence, particularly with mental health um, conditions or queries, that people prefer the phone rather than being seen. Um, So, we actually now offer dual mode, so we offer both video and telehealth, and we offer that right around Australia. Um, It's fee for service, so people do need to pay and they can't claim um, back through Medicare, unfortunately at this stage but I'm working on that (laughs) Um, but yeah as I said we do have a um, we also have a fully funded service down in Tasmania so the Tasmanian government uh, has funded um, access for the general public aged care staff and palliative carers to call a pharmacist after hours, so between 6pm and midnight every day of the year, um, to get advice um, for no cost, no out-of-pocket costs. So the government is actually covering that and we're gathering some data just to get a sense of how often it's used and who it's used by um, and what the impact was on health outcomes for the person that was calling.
0: And this is the data that will make up your... PhD. PhD. That's exactly
1: right. Yeah. So I've got a team of four pharmacists down in Tassie um, and they are all hospital pharmacists. So they've got very good clinical skills. They do a lot of history taking over the phone and then they actually write a summary for the patient, which is emailed to them and to their nominated GP um, so that everyone knows what's going on and that any recommendations that are made are all recorded.
0: I'm interested in, you know, everyone's had that moment of, oh, here's a thing we really need. Mm-hmm. Or wouldn't it be great if someone built this thing? Yes. At what point did it occur to you that you could do it?
1: Yeah, look, good question. I think doing the pitch to the SRI was a good moment where, yeah, the... Um the people that were in the room was, were like, wow, why hasn't this de- been done before? And so I think that reassured me that, or oh, maybe this, you know, there, there was something to this idea. Uh, and then, you know, speaking to other uh, pharmacist colleagues, you know, asking, you know, why hasn't this been done? And, and a lot of it does come down to acceptance by the public of using telehealth. And obviously we, a lot of us were forced to use telehealth because mm. of COVID. Um, but I think people are also a lot more comfortable with it now as well, which is great. And, and I don't know that the technology was quite there as it is now. Um, Yeah, and I think just seeing people use it and give us really positive feedback, again, is really reassuring that there is something that is here and and we definitely need it. It's just making sure it is fit for purpose and continually evolving based on feedback from users.
0: And so of the idea then to back it up with, I guess, evidence-based research yes. follow-after.
1: Yeah, very much so. That's right. So uh, when I, I actually started my PhD back in 2019, and I initially started it um, in the area of deprescribing, so stopping unnecessary or harmful medication. Right. Yeah. And so started that, have gone through the process and been doing that part-time. And then um, when, yeah, it was earlier this year, Farm Online had had, had a number of recognitions um, professionally and yeah my supervisor actually said to me why aren't we doing your PhD on this um and I was like well I don't want to hate it at the end (laughs) and um a lot of people that I talk to that do PhD say you know they really you know they get very frustrated by the process and you know they don't always necessarily love their subject um or particularly their thesis maybe the subject they still love but the thesis Mm. becomes very frustrating and so I didn't want to do that but he said look I really think that you should think about that a little bit more and it made sense to be able to um yeah do some some data gathering that would um, hold up in the scientific community and so yeah we. I made the switch earlier this year in March to actually change my topic after I'd gone through confirmation mm-hmm. um, yeah so it's been a big shift and so my mid-candidature point is in March next year so I've had to do quite a lot of work in a short um, period of time to get back to where I would have otherwise been if I'd continued on um, with the original project but I think I'm quite happy that I've made that change um, because it has forced things to happen Um, As far as, you know, data collection, getting up and getting going. And um, yeah, it's really exciting to see that there will be something, you know, some evidence behind what we're actually doing.
0: Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have a huge uh, knowledge base and skill set being a pharmacist, Mm. but of being a, a business owner. Yes. And founder is another kettle fish altogether. Mm-hmm. Has it been learning on the job or did you have a lot of business um, skills?
1: No, no, it's definitely learning on the job. Um, I think entrepreneurship is very much like that. <laughs> uh, you kind of figure things out and make mistakes and fix them as you go. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, a very big upskilling process. Uh, so I did business studies um, in high school and always really enjoyed it. Um, but it was never really in my long-term plan I think to have a business so yeah it's definitely been uh, yeah steep learning curve but I think being involved with the UNE SRI has helped quite a lot because you're around other people going through a similar thing so trying to figure out how to work a business you know the financials the governance stuff all of that you know needs to kind of happen um, like the legal all the legal um, and insurance um, requirements which has been um, unusual because we are very unique in Australia so we've actually had to have our own insurance created um, for our <laughs> offering because there's nothing else like it um, in Australia. So all of that has been, yeah, something that I've needed to learn along the way. And um, I think I'm getting better. Um, I wouldn't say, yeah, I feel like I'm a business person at this stage, but I feel like I'm working towards um, that with the skills I'm building over this time.
0: You should clarify that SRA is the Smart Region Incubator. Yes. So this is where you have lots of I guess, fledging businesses yeah. all coming together and learning yes. off each other.
1: Yeah.
0: I imagine, too, being a business owner, you'd have to start getting pretty good at delegating and saying, yes. I don't need to know every little thing about this aspect yes. of the business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm probably not so good at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I feel like I want to really hold on to everything that's going on. But, um, and I think, you know, it's easy to delegate when you have the finances behind you to pay other people to do jobs. But when you're starting out from scratch and there's not a lot of money and you don't have a lot of funding, um, you do often have to do a lot of that legwork. And I think it makes you appreciate that too when you can finally delegate and pay someone to do um, something that maybe you're not so good at or you, you don't feel you're confident with. So, Yeah, I think I'm now at that stage where I am able to do some of that, Um, but it's still hard. It's hard to let go, I think, and and also finding people that will fit in with your own team culture. So as I said, I've got pharmacists um, in Tassie, but also around Australia as well, and it's a wonderful team. But that you know you have to manage that um, as you go as well, and make sure that anyone you're bringing in will actually work with that team and not cause um, yeah unnecessary upset.
0: So where did you start? like it, you have you know the this this knowledge side of the business and the yes. business side of the business but yes. also the sort of hardware and the, the online
1: yeah. side of things, Yes,
0: did you just sort of hit the ground running?
1: Yeah, I just made, started to make phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so yeah, as I said, I, I spoke to some colleagues, uh, I started to have a look at some of the platforms that were already existing in the marketplace around telehealth. And so they already exist. Telehealth's been around for 20 years more, but it's only really come to the fore in the last couple of years as a result of COVID. So there are already existing platforms. I didn't need to create any of those, but it has meant that I've had to negotiate um, on what is actually offered through some of those platforms. So um, we use a couple and we've been able to chat to them about what we actually need as pharmacists, which can be slightly different to, say, a medical doctor, for example. Um, but yeah, just it's just trying things out. Search. I mean, Google's amazing. You know, you can Google <laughs> just about everything. So, you know, how do I start this? Where do I go with this? What's the best platform? You can get people who give you live feedback. And I think just also asking questions on, you know, professional platforms has been really great for me. And it's also how I've um, really employed, you know, my, my contracting pharmacist is reaching out on professional forums and just saying, I've got this role. Is anyone interested? And initially our team was completely volunteer. So all of our pharmacists came in and they were not being paid um, unless, you know, they did a consult and then they took a proportion of, of that consult payment. But um, it just goes to show that I think pharmacists have this um, amazing holistic view of health and how it should be and are so willing to do it, um, but they need to be remunerated appropriately. So part of what I want to do with Farm Online is show that people are willing to pay for pharmacist advice because historically... Payment for pharmacists and pharmacies has always come through product supply. Whereas I think a lot of the time we actually don't need products, Um, or we can use things that we already have at home uh, and we'll have the same effect. And often it's just that education and that, you know, helping people be confident about, um, you know, how to manage their health is often far more valuable than a product itself.
0: Was that immediately obvious where the business model would be when you had the idea? Um,
1: No, I think I've worked that out with other mentors um, and colleagues here at the SRI. So I think that, you know, having this network is really great to kind of go, this is what I'm thinking, what do you think, how else do we do this? Um, And as I said, it does keep evolving. So, you know, we're getting some of that government grant funding, which is helpful. Uh, We've picked up a few other grants here and there, which just helps to fund things. Um, But, yeah, we want to make it so that it's... It's, there's not such a big drain uh, on, the, um, you know, on taxpayers and, and funds where you know, Medicare and the pharmaceutical benefits scheme is funded at the moment. So we want to try and reduce that pressure by allowing people to, to pay um, for what they actually need.
0: Where would you say the business is at? Obviously, it's a new business and there's research yeah. being done into it. Yes. Or is it a startup? Is it beta testing? Is it running?
1: So we're what? running, yeah. yeah. So we're absolutely running. Um, I think, yeah, we still need to get some more more data and runs on the board I think before we're really looking to scale but it's something that I'm actively looking into just preparing for what point that happens what we need how many more staff I need to bring in um, to make that happen so yeah I'd say we're still yeah as I said we are running Um, we're getting feedback um, from users all the time um yeah, but we're just looking at, you know, I suppose multiple different offerings just to see what really does work and, and what is financially viable for the future of the business as well.
0: And you mentioned you had these focus groups done in Tasmania that you were studying, but obviously yep. it's not just limited... To there, who yes. can access it? Anyone?
1: Anyone, absolutely anyone. So, um, we actually have pharmacists available almost around the clock. So, um, between about six pm uh, and midnight, because we have pharmacists in WA, so they can cover that. You know that three hours um, difference that we have when we're in daylight saving. So, it does really extend out our. Um, yeah, the access hours, which is mm-hmm. great. And, and you know, and obviously with that Tassie service between 6pm and midnight as well. So we'd love to be something like a 24 hour service, but until we are having enough um, consults to justify that, it's, it's probably a little bit tricky and a little while
0: away yet. So it's a bit like a hotline as opposed to booking appointments. Correct. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's just getting that immediate um, advice when you need it and you can get it at home, you can get it at, you know, in, in your workplace, um, you can get it at the witching hour with your children. You know, when it's <laughs> five p.m. and they're screaming, and you're like, "What's going on?" So that's the beautiful thing, and and that's the thing. We're not trying to um, replicate or um, you know replace any existing health services. We feel like we're a really good addition to what already exists, and we can really help to refer people through to the best um, point for ongoing care. Um, so, for example, if someone yeah has signs of infection, we can refer them onto a GP um, or if they need to go and see another health professional, we can let them know how and when to do that. Um, and they can find then, you know, we can direct them to local services so that they can find that in their hometown or, or close by.
0: And I'm interested in the fact you mentioned very early on that sometime next year, pharmacists will be able to... Uh, diagnose and prescribe. Yes. What does that mean for Farm Online?
1: Yeah, look, I, I hope it means that there's more opportunities for, to, for us to help more people. I think when people hear Farm Online, they assume that we are yeah providing medication and maybe mailing it out, um, but we are just an advisory service. Um, but that's the thing. If legislation changes to allow us to be able to do more, I think we're really well positioned to be able to diagnose and prescribe via telehealth. And it almost separates us from that conflict of interest where you're both both prescribing and selling a medication in the same place. So Mm. I think there's some real advantages to that um, and being able to offer that. But um, we've got to keep an eye on what's happening. So the the announcement came out uh, on Sunday or Monday that uh, pharmacists can now um, provide travel vaccinations so that that's now live as, as of Monday the 14th um, of November uh, and then a urinary tract prescribing trial will occur from March next year and then later in 2023 the intent is to actually open that up to a number of other medications and conditions including contraceptive um, prescription and supply which is really exciting um, well for women because unfortunately mm-hmm. men there's no option yet <laughs> we may get there yet um, but yeah it does really help with just actually and making sure that people can get things where they need it. So yeah, I, I, as I said, I just feel that it's, you know, it does allow us an opportunity potentially to be prescribing while doing a, a video consult so people can stay at home in the comfort of their home or in their workplace and get that, that health care where they need it.
0: So the best way is to just jump online and search for Farm Online?
1: Yeah, that's right. So we're at farmonline.com.au. So that's P-H-A-R-M-online.com.au. <laughs> there is another Farm Online, which is more like the you know the yeah. tractor type. <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah, you can go there or you can actually call 1300-FARMY. So P-H-A-R-M-Y, if you dial that, you'll actually reach our on-call team as well. And so with that process, you can ask your question. Um, we'll write a summary of that, email it to you with an invoice. So it's... The for a standard consult um, or $69 for an extended consult. So that's about half an hour. Um, And yeah, you just pay online and it's all done. And you've got something then to take back to your other health professionals when you go and see them in person um, if that needs to happen.
0: Amazing. Well, thanks again. And congratulations again on... All the recent awards and yes. good luck being a superstar. Uh,
1: thank you. I know it feels like that. Well, it sounds like all I do is apply for awards. But <laughs> <laughs> um, what's really interesting about that is there's so many more that, you know, you don't get and you you don't have the opportunity to be involved with. So I'm always very appreciative of ones that, you know, you do get that opportunity to, um, yeah, hopefully learn something and then be able to pass that back on to your community.
0: Right. Well, I'm sure we'll be hearing more from you. And thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, James. Tale
0: Thanks for joining me here on the STEMQ podcast. Stay tuned to hear more stories as we work to empower STEM innovation through the STEMQ precinct.